I want to invite you to, to take your Bible and open it to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And as you're turning there, I, I must tell you that my heart really is just upon you today, sitting out there, uh, we say, in the pew, or at least in your, in your chair, no doubt when I knew that it was on the subject of the local church, I thought, how can I be a blessing to you and, and impart uh, the word to you? And I have been engaged with Rick and Bob and others, even on the expositors seminary side as we're considering that and looking that into that where we are in California. And I think of the pastors and the elders that he has given you. But really, my word is for you today. So, I, I mean, this is just directed to you as a body. And I, I suppose if you're an elder or a pastor, you can listen. Um, it's not really for you. I'm, I'm speaking this to the body. But, you know, we sang that song. I love that last song. I shall stand complete in thee. That's a great song, isn't it? That's a great stanza. I shall stand complete in thee. And, of course, that's going to be at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when we're glorified in his presence. But until we stand complete in him, uh, the church can be messy, can it not? And people can be messy. Our own lives, we struggle and we grow and we're in a maturing process. And maybe that heart is such, that song is such an encouragement to our heart for the simple reason that one day we'll have no more sin and we won't be able to think sin or conceive of sin or even commit sin because we're going to stand complete in Christ. But until that day, we are in a battle, are we not? We are in an absolute war um, against our sin, and often that affects our relationships with people. So I want to begin by maybe just asking you a question. How do you respond to difficult people? I mean, how do you respond to difficult relationships? And maybe even a little bit more pointed, what is your responsibility to this body? You have a huge responsibility to Mission Road. I mean, there's no doubt that the leadership is going to play a, a vital part of the direction of this church. But make no mistake about it, your role is just as vital as theirs. You individually, sitting there, listening today, have been given some very specific instructions on what you're to do with people in this body. Sometimes it's confronting sin. Sometimes it may be just encouraging someone in a trial. Sometimes it may just be helping someone who is burdened. But how do you handle these situations? How do you encourage others in the body of Christ? How do you engage with one another in the body of Christ? What do you do when people come to you? What kind of counsel do you give them? What do you tell somebody who's in sin? What do you tell someone that needs to be encouraged? What do you tell someone who's faint-hearted? How do you know the difference between someone who's unruly and someone who's faint-hearted? What happens if you admonish someone who is, is actually weak and you, you're strong with them? You have a responsibility to help different people in this body. I sat down with a young man even in my own flock uh, this week and he confessed some sin to me and certainly he came to me. It wasn't me discovering it and I needed to give him a very strong word, okay? But let me take you to this text. Let me read from 512 down through verse 16, okay? It says, we request of you, brethren that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see to it that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. And then he said, rejoice always. What I want to do with you this morning is give you a biblical strategy for working with different kinds of people in the body of Christ. Okay? A biblical strategy 
for working with different kinds of people in the body of Christ. I think I'm smiling because you might be saying, I work with people in the body of Christ. Oh, absolutely. You walked in these doors. And maybe you're visiting today, welcome. But if you bear that this is my church, Mission Road, and you're a member of this church or you attend this church, you work with different people in this body. And it might not just be on the Lord's Day, it could be throughout the week and you have a very big responsibility. It could be somebody in your home. It could be somebody in a relationship. Now let me set the context just for you as we drop into this passage. If you look in 1 Thessalonians 5, in verse 1, and maybe you have that header in your Bible, it is the day of the Lord. He's giving them instruction in light of that greater principle, the day of the Lord, in light of the second coming. And he says in two, you yourselves full well know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. In other words, it's coming. The second coming is coming. And while they're saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains, uh, you know, upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, he says, you are not of the darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. And so he's exhorting us in light of this coming day, And if you glance down in verse 11, he says, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. In other words, in light of this day that's approaching, not only just politically for us, not only with what goes on in the world, seemingly weekly, right? The the Lord's second coming is coming. And in light of that day, you have a responsibility to encourage one another, verse 11, and to build up one another. And then from that point, Paul just gives a series of duties to the body of Christ. Would you look down in your Bible again? We read, you say, who is the audience? It's you. He says, but we request of you, and then it says there, brethren, so he's, he's talking to you. He wrote to the church at Thessalonica, but the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, is talking to you. He said, we request of you, brethren. And then what he says is that you need to appreciate those who labor among you and those who have charge over you and those who give instruction to you, that you as a body would esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And so you have a responsibility to the leadership of this church to appreciate them. And you know that you have a wonderful, wonderful staff. And Rick has shared much how he loves you and how you have loved him in return. But you have a responsibility to the leadership. But you also have a responsibility. Look again at verse 14 when he says, We urge you, brethren... And then he gives a series of duties there to admonish the unruly and encourage the faint-hearted and so forth and help the weak and be patient with all people. Now, in this passage, there are different conditions that need to be addressed in working with people. Obviously, we read that. There are some people who are unruly. There are some people who are faint-hearted. There are some people who are weak. And you, in summary exhortation, verse 14, need to be patient with everyone. And I think it's very important here to employ the correct counsel um, as we interact with people because it could be very dangerous if we give people the wrong counsel in the body of Christ. You say, well, how do I give right counsel? How am I to conduct myself? What is my responsibility as a high school student? What is my responsibility as a mother? What is my responsibility as a man in this flock? What is my responsibility with each other as a single? Okay? And what Paul's going to do, we're going to walk through this, is give us three insights, okay, and the appropriate responses for dealing with people in the body of Christ. Three insights, and then he's going to tell us how to respond to different people in the body of Christ, I think here, that we might be able to encourage each other and build up each other. And maybe as we begin this morning, is there somebody that's just even on your heart? 
Somebody that you're burdened for. Somebody that you need to go to. And it could be that the Lord's going to bring that to mind as the Word and the Spirit here apply this message. It could be that this is you in this body and that I'm describing that somebody needs to, to love you. So that in each insight he gives with to people there, there is a condition that's described and then there's a command to be put into practice, okay? It's not hard to understand. He describes a condition and then he gives a command to be put into practice. Let's look at the first insight. You can see it there in verse 14. He says, we urge you, brethren, to admonish the unruly. Stop there just for a moment. The condition here that he describes is you have some people in Mission Road, and it could be beyond the body in the greater community, but here he describes them as unruly. If you're holding an ESV, they are described as idle. In other words, there's people who are disorderly. You could say it that way. There's people at times in the flock who are rebellious for the sake of a term. There's people in the flock who are undisciplined. Now, now that word there that he it, it gives in describing the condition is the word unruly. And it is a military word. And if you can just picture here as I'm speaking, if you got soldiers and they're marching in rank, okay, they're, they're to march in rank and they're to march in cadence. In fact, my son is in medical school in St. Louis and he just got back from Fort Sam because he enlisted as an officer to be a doctor. But they're, if they're, they're marching, they're marching in rank. They're marching in cadence, if you will. Hear what the word describes is somebody who's out of step. That's what the word meant. Somebody who's out of rank. In other words, you got people that are marching in file, and then you got one man, one woman in the flock that's out of step, is what the word means. They're out of rank. In other words, they've broke rank. They've broke uh, the cadence, if you will. They are either in sin or on the verge of sinning. In fact, let me show you where that word unruly is used. Just turn maybe to the right one page, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I think it's interesting that he uses it a number of times, three times here. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, he says, we command you, and do you notice the audience again? It's the brethren. Too much comes back to the leadership of the church, and, and, I, and we want the responsibility, but when I read the Bible, he's talking to you this morning. You have a responsibility. He says, we command you, he says in 3, 6, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads, here's the word, an unruly life. That's that same Greek word. In other words, they're unruly is, is, is the thoughts. In other words, it's not according, verse 6, to the tradition which you have received. He uses the term a second time. And look at verse 7. For you yourselves know how we ought to, you ought to follow our example because we did not act, and here's the word again, spelled differently, in an undisciplined manner among you. So you have people who, in 3, 6, who are unruly. You've got those people who are living in an undisciplined manner, Glance down in 2 Thess 3.11, where he says there, for we hear that some among you are leading, and here's the third time, an undisciplined life. In other words, there's people in the body who are irresponsible at times, who are disorderly. They're neglecting, if you will, their daily spiritual duties. They are out of order. They're on the verge of sin. They may be caught in sin and so they need corrective, if you will, discipline because of the expectation of what the Scripture gives to them, okay? So here's the condition, but secondly in that first insight, he gives a command to you. Look at it back in 514. He says, you got those people. He said, you need to admonish them, to admonish them. And the ideal behind the word admonishment is to warn the idol. Now, you're to do it with instruction. You're to do it with understanding. 
You're to do this with certainly with humility, but it's, it also carries the ideal of with firmness, if you will. Now, you've seen that word, or maybe you've seen that word before in 14, when it says admonish the unruly. So you got somebody out of, they're, they're, they're marching, they step out. I think of people in our church, it just, I saw a guy on last week, he just barely comes on the Lord's day, supposedly he's working, but I just think he's just always kind of out of step thinking of other things rather than the word, rather than the kingdom of God. Well, I have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to these people to admonish them, okay? In other words, you're counseling them to avoid sin. You may be counseling them to cease from sin. In other words, they need to be warned. And that Greek word there, maybe you've heard it before. Sometimes in our circle, we talk, you ever hear about that nuthetic counseling? You ever hear that word? Say, you do. Let me see. Yeah, never nuthetic counseling. That's the word admonish. The Greek word is nuthateo, and so nuthateo, so we say biblical counseling is, there's, a, there's an organization called nuthetic counselors. You don't have to be a professional, you just have to be a Christian. You have a responsibility to people who have broken rank. You are to go to them, and you are to admonish them and warn them and stir them to action. They need to be called back to disobedience, back to obedience from disobedience. Look again at 512. Certainly the leadership has a responsibility. Do you see at the end of verse 12 of chapter 5? They have charge over you in the Lord. And again, it's just a translation. And they give you what? Instruction. Nuthateo. Leadership gives instruction. They give warnings. They give admonishment. It doesn't have to be really negative. Paul used this word in Colossians 1.28 when he says, in, he says, in him, he says, him we proclaim warning and admonishing everyone and teaching one, uh, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone complete in Christ. We've seen that word in Colossians 3.16 to admonish one another with hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, okay? So it carries the idea of warning them of the pending consequences of their actions. In fact, look over at 2 Thessalonians one more time. Just building a little background with you. But in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 15, back up to 14, if anyone does not obey our instruction, okay, Paul says, in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. But watch this. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but what? Admonish him. In other words, you go to these kind of people. You, you, you say, well, they're not really my responsibility. They're the elders. No, I'm telling you, it's yours. I'm telling you that Mission Road will only be good as, as mature as you as a body and the leadership puts into practice what's needed. But here, he's addressing your own heart. Let me, let me put it this way. If you have somebody who's lying in whatever the circumstance, you don't just overlook their sin and say they're going to mature. No, you have a responsibility to go to them and admonish them. You admonish somebody who's out of step. If, if somebody is stealing, whatever it may be, you have a responsibility in the body of Christ to go to someone who's unruly and admonish them. If somebody is drinking excessively, you have a responsibility to go to them to admonish them. If somebody is gazing and looking at pornography, it is not the leadership's issue, it is your issue with people where you're aware you have a responsibility to go and to and to love them and to admonish them. I had to admonish a guy in my office this week who I mentioned earlier had committed sin, and I said, you, I said, don't ever, thank you for sharing with me. I said, your wife is very gracious to you. I said, but you must never commit that sin again. And I wasn't um, like giving him a moral standard. I'm telling him 
that if your wife is being gracious to you, I admonished him. I warned him. I said, you punched her in the gut. I said, do not punch her a second time. And, and I lovingly came to him and was telling him that, you know, forgiveness is there, but be careful that you don't abuse that. And so I was just warning him and talking to him and counseling him. And there are times in this flock where maybe a, a rebuke needs to be given to those who are in the fellowship who are living in a dis, disorganized, disorderly way. So Mission Road, does somebody come to your mind even this morning? I mean, maybe there's somebody you just, you need, you need to go to because it is your responsibility. It is my responsibility in the body of Christ as well. But that's not the only insight. Look, he gives a second insight. He says, you admonish the unruly, certainly, but look, very interesting. Look at the text. It's powerful. He says to encourage, second insight, encourage the what? The faint-hearted. So here in a very similar way, there's a condition described. You've got somebody who's not out of step and out of rank. You've got somebody who's faint-hearted. It's a very interesting word in, in the language. It's just, in other words, this person, this man, this woman isn't... Uh, just kind of breaking rank. They're just worried about life. They could just be discouraged about life. They could even be just fearful about life. One commentator just put it this way, they're overwhelmed by life itself. So listen, as you walk in these doors and get out of your car, there could be people in this flock that are out of step, out of rank, and they need to be admonished. But there are people equally that come into this flock who aren't unruly, they're faint-hearted. Literally, they're timid. In fact, the, the Greek word is oligusuku, and oligos is just short, and suku, you probably know, is soul. It just means they're short of soul. In other words, you could even translate it that these people have little souls, and he's not, he's not correcting them it's just, he's telling you their condition. They're discouraged. They're despondent. At times, they want to give up. They, they fear, if you will. They come to despair in the face of circumstances. And certainly in Thessalonians, Paul talked a lot about suffering, and he talked a lot here about affliction, and they just become overwhelmed by life. It could be that you've walked in this morning, and you're, you're just overwhelmed. In fact, I think I'm telling you as a pastor, I think some people have a greater temperament even to this. There's some people who have such strong faith that nothing faces them. And then there's some people who by temperament can sometimes just become short of soul. They become easily discouraged. I was on a tour yesterday in the Spurgeon Library. And the guy that was giving us the tour just said that sometimes Spurgeon's wife would have to come over to him, slumped over on his desk because he often struggled with depression. So discouraged. Spurgeon? Yes, Spurgeon. He often would just become melancholy, and he couldn't felt, he could sometimes feel like he couldn't carry on in the ministry, and for why this happens, and don't always know, but there's people who are faint-hearted. Maybe they face, or you face a surgery, or a financial payment, or a difficult meeting, and what might seem easy for some of you becomes a very difficult issue for others. I think the picture sometimes that comes into my mind is that cartoon character on Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore. You know Eeyore? Just the sky just tends to be fallen. Oh, it's okay. I mean, he's just, he's just, he's just like that. He just, it's almost like he's lost who he is and he just kind of wades through life. You know, I saw a man, this is some months back, and I'm not trying to be weird, Okay. But I looked across at him, not today, I'm not talking to anybody directly, but he, we were at a dinner together. In fact, I still remember, we were at a dinner with Al Moeller at, at a home in our area, and I looked over at him, and I, I'm not like I'm trying to sound like, ooh, I just looked at his face, and he had no joy. And you say, that's a little subjective. Yeah, I'm telling you, that's subjective. 
But I just looked at him. I watched him kind of walk around the room, never smiling, no joy, no, no laughter. And I thought, ah, something's wrong with that guy. So I went up to him afterwards. I said, how you doing? Yeah. I said, why don't you come see me this week? I just, you, you've been on my heart just from, just from seeing him. And sure enough, he came in and he's struggling. You say, Pastor, what do you mean struggling? He's struggling with the Christian faith. You say, why is he struggling? I knew why he was struggling. He grew up in a Nazarene church. And in a Nazarene church, you can lose your what? Salvation. He walks around, I'm telling you, in his Christian life, fearful. I mean, you look at him, there's, there would be no joy if you feel like, am I going or am I not going? Am I saved this week? Am I not saved this week? I, just, I, I can just see his face. I just, Scott, I'm just not on fire for the Lord. I just, I don't know. He doesn't know anything. And, and, and his face mirrors who he is. I want to be real clear with you. He's not unruly. That guy's often given to faint-heartedness, often. And he just actually needed to be built up. You say, well, if someone is faint-hearted, what do I do? Well, look down in the scripture. There's a command there given. It says, and you see it, you get it, encourage them. You say, what does that mean? It means to give them hope, to give courage to them. You say, well, Scott, what if the guy's not really a Christian? No, I'm telling you, he's a Christian. He's a fine young man. Loves his wife, loves his children, great character. I think he bears fruit. You say, what's his problem? No assurance. Taught wrong. Got in his mind as a young man that he can lose it. So he doesn't know if he's in or out. And he just struggles. And I'll tell you, if he doesn't get right doctrine, he may struggle the rest of his life until he gets to glory. And then he'll find out that I was right and he's in heaven, right? Some people are Christians, but they have no assurance. He's one of them. Now listen, I'm telling you, I, I'm talking to him. You're talking to people faint-hearted. What do you do with them? Well, let me just be clear with you. You don't admonish these people. They don't need your admonishment. They need your encouragement. The ideal is you need to console them. They're suffering from a trial, from a doctrinal error, maybe from a death, from a tragedy, from a looming fear. They, maybe they need to confront somebody and they don't want to do it. They become very weak in this condition or they become very faint-hearted in this condition. And you are not to rebuke them. You don't even in this thought exhort them. You are to give them hope. You are to give them encouragement. You are to come alongside them and remind them of who they are. And I begin to remind him of his high position in Christ. But I'm not perfect at this. Because there was just some time back, I was on one of those pastoral uh, conference trips in the Philippines. And I was with this guy. He, he taught with Rick and I at the Master's Seminary. His name is Alex Montoya. And you, I don't know if Alex has been here. Has he been here, Bob? He's just kind of like, whatever a macho pastor is, it's Alex. And I mean that in a genuine way. He ministers in the Hispanic community. He's just kind of like an in-your-face guy. And, uh, and when I'm with him at this pastor's conference in the Philippines, and we're talking to pastors, and you get going, and you just, yeah, you know, and exhorting, and you're just doing that. It's fun. And so I'm there in the Philippines, and I get an email that this woman in my flock would like to meet with me when I get back. And she had this day free, and I probably shouldn't have said yes. It was the day after I got back from the Philippines preaching to a group of pastors with fervency. And she would have been walking through a very, very difficult marriage. Her husband, maybe I'll just keep it at this, you understand, was unfaithful to her many times over. And, and so she came in and I sat with her and another woman in our church, an older woman, was there counseling with her and she was, and we had known this and she just pouring her heart out and then I entered into my pastor mode with her and I began to exhort her and I begin, and I don't think I was telling her anything wrong biblically. I was telling her, hey, listen, we understand, but here's what you need to do. Here's what, here's what the scripture would tell you to do. Here's how you need to protect your kids. Here's what you need to do with your finances. Here's what you ought to do with your bank account. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just talking to her. And so my, you say, how'd the meeting go? Well, I thought the meeting went great. 
pastor hat on, just exhorting her, because I love her, you know, and I love her family. And so my wife sees me the next day on Sunday. She goes, how'd your talk with so-and-so go? I said, I went really good. I said, I think it went, what'd you tell her, Scott? I, I told her this, and I told her this, and I started to recite it, and I can see my wife's face contorting, you know, and, uh, I, I, and I told her this, and then Scott, then my wife said, did you tell her this? I said, yeah, I told her this, and she said, how did you tell her that? I said, I said, I'm just like this, and I was just kind of in my preaching mode, and then the longer she talked to me, my wife, the more I saw her face twisting, and I said, did it really come out like that? She goes, Yes, God, like that. So here I'm her pastor, and you know what I had to do? I had to walk up to her on Sunday night and say, dear friend of ours, I said, I just want you to know how sorry I am. You say, did I give her wrong counsel? No. But I'm just telling you, the woman was faint-hearted. She didn't need me to say a word, you see? She probably just needed me to sit and listen and maybe just cry with her and, and maybe just pray with her. She didn't need my exhortation. And I had to apologize to her for not shepherding her correctly. I said, I am so sorry. I think I used the word for being, is that an L or is it this an L? For being a lame pastor with you. And I had to tell her, I'm sorry. Listen, I just think we, all of us, me, you, we need to be doctors of the soul. And when people come to you or when you look across the room and see someone, we need to make sure what we're dealing with. If somebody's out of rank, for sure, go to them in love and firmness and nutheteo and admonish them and warn them either of the, the, the consequences of the pending sin or maybe they need to be corrected because they're in sin. Admonish them. But you got somebody who's a little soul of a little heart and they don't need you to come with your brilliance. They just might need need you to encourage them to the promises that are found in the Word of God that they're going to be okay, you see? So listen, there's different people in this body, and I, I'm saying it to me, but I'm saying it to you. You have a responsibility. I'm telling you, Mission Road is only going to be as strong as the faces that I'm looking at. It takes wise leadership at the top, but imagine a church that just says, this isn't my responsibility, I just told you, it is your responsibility by the authority of the Word of God. We urge you, brethren. He said in verse 12, he said, but we request of you, brethren. So the scripture is talking to you. But there's a third insight. That's not all. You admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted. But thirdly, you can see it in 14. It says to help the what? Help the weak. And so first, the condition is people are weak. Now, it's a little different than being faint-hearted. You say, well, how so? Well, here's the condition. Th these people are weak or they're frail. It means literally in the language to be without strength. And sometimes it means to be without physical strength. But I don't think that's what uh, Paul's talking about. Often that word means to be without spiritual strength. So you have some people in your body who are weak spiritually. Paul put it this way in Romans 14.1. He said, except the one who is weak in faith. Do you remember that great passage about the strong and the weak and about Christian gray areas and so forth? Did, did Rick get to that section yet, Bob? In Romans 14, he'll get there. But it just, he will, I promise. He's like me. Um, but there's people who are weak in faith. And you say, well, Scott, what does that mean? They're just not strong in the faith. Maybe the man I'm talking about across the dinner table at that night or across the tables there is weak in faith. His faith isn't strong. Maybe he, it's over a gray area. I don't, I don't even know. In fact, it speaks in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 about a conscience. Being weak is defiled. Sometimes, remember that whole thing with eating meat or not eating meat, and some people were, the believers were eating meat, and then there were people who were weaker brothers, and their conscience is defiled. 
So you got some people who are faint-hearted, some who are kind of out of rank, but then others walk in, and it may be you, you're just, you're weak. Maybe you're lacking knowledge. Maybe you're lacking courage to trust God. Maybe you are uh, lacking stability. Maybe you're lacking endurance. And let me just say this, just make be real clear here. There is a place in the body of Christ for those who are weak. Amen? These are believers. And if you're strong, and if you're mature, then you ought to come alongside the weak, and you have a duty towards them. You cannot abandon them. You cannot ignore them. They are God's redeemed. You say, well, what am I to do? Well, look at the text. In verse 14, you can see it there. It says to help the weak. And it's the idea here that you don't abandon these people. In other words, they're so weak, if I could give you a picture, it's almost like they can't stand up. You, you've got to, if, if you will, prop them up. You've got to sustain them. And, and it's not usually all the time, but they come into a place and a condition. You put your arms around them. You, you hold them up. You, you love on them. Paul said in Acts 20, 35, that you must... He says, in everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help, he said, the weak. You've got to help them. They should know that they're loved. They should know that they're accepted. They should know that they can come to you, okay? We are to be sensitive to them. In fact, it says in Romans 15:1 that you who are strong ought to bear with the weaknesses of those who were without strength. Listen, and I'm not saying this over the top. I've seen churches ruined by the strong running over the weak. I've seen churches develop a whole culture of harshness because the strong run over the weak. I've seen elder boards run over the weak. And certainly there needs to be standards given. But listen, these are people in our body and we've got to come alongside them. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes we've got to give them practical and spiritual guidance to them. You say, how do I do this? You do this by showing personal interest in them. You show compassion to them. Sometimes you just give them your presence. I was talking to a guy last week. This may sound funny. He's a pastor. I won't mention his name. And he's leaving his church. And he's leaving his church for all the right reasons. And the elders are saying that he uh, has created division. I can't get into the story with you. He's not created any division. They stripped him of the title of being a pastor. They gave him an under title called um, director. They stripped his ordination from him for the most silly reason. And by the time I caught up with him at Hume Lake, man, he just looked like a whipped puppy. This is a pastor, young pastor. And, you know, it's kind of hard when you feel like you're the only guy taking on a whole board and whatever. And, I, you know, I just looked at him. His wife was sitting with him. This might sound a little cheesy. And I just said, I said, you're a man. You're a man. I said, you don't have anything to be embarrassed about. You've done nothing wrong. You're a man. And I just want you to know I respect you. You say, why? I think he needed that. He needed an older man to come alongside him because people have been beating him up because I think he gets a little weak in the situation in which he's in and it involves family and I just, I felt like telling him, you're the man from Snowy River, you know, but that wouldn't have worked. But I, I, I thought it was pretty bold for me to say that and my wife said, hey Scott, I think that was good that you said that to him. But my point is you got people, that's a pastor, a young pastor, kind of beaten up, made to feel like a hireling. I said, you know what? You're a thoroughbred in the ministry. I said, I'd take a guy like you any day. And then I told him last week, I said, I just want you to know I believe in you. Because you got an elder board, because I know where the discussion's going. He probably feels like, gosh, maybe I shouldn't do ministry. Maybe I should get out of ministry. Maybe I shouldn't do this. Why? Because some men in his life don't know how to encourage a young man. But he just needed my help. And my encouragement, listen, there's, a, there's a, a friend I have, I hesitate to tell this account, but I'm trying to illustrate the truth to be super clear with you. This is a friend, longtime friend of mine, 15 years, godly man, single guy. 
I always knew him as a godly man. Rick knows him. We worked with him. He came to a place and a point in his life in his early 30s that he sinned with a girl, which is just wrong. And why it was wrong, he, he, uh, he was leading a Bible study in just a lay capacity. He was a, was a leader and loved people, and he did it for many years, but he, he got in sin. That's enough for me to say, okay? And he was wrong. And he didn't come out with his sin. He kind of hid his sin for a few months until the sin came out. And you know, when you hide your sin, right, when it comes out, the hammer's coming down. I mean, whenever you tend to get in a situation like that and a guy's not been truthful with you, when leadership finds out about that, they're going to they're gonna come down on him harder and he had to bear that and wait that and rightfully so, he blew it, okay? Obviously, the relationship ended. But sadly, nobody kind of picked the guy up. Say, so can that happen? Yeah, it happened in Corinthians. Remember when Paul said, listen, you should have disciplined that guy. What, what are you waiting for? And then remember when he wrote 2 Corinthians, he said, hey, now is sufficient for the time. Welcome the guy back. In other words, st- stop staying on the guy. So this guy, rather than having somebody put their arm around him, and I had been, I was not pastoring there, somebody called me and said, Scott, you need to call this guy. And I said, Really? They said, yes, Scott, we think you really need to call him because I think what they were saying to me is he doesn't know if he can continue on in life, you see? In other words, his whole bottom just dropped out of him, lost everything in terms of influence, leadership, Bible teaching. He pays the consequences for that sin. You get that, I get that. But I'm telling you, we're now eight months to a year later and one guy walked up to him and said, you're the worst failure this church has had in 15 years. I said, no, they didn't tell you that. He goes, yes, Scott, this guy said that to me. I said, I'm so sorry. Listen, you you make a comment to a guy like that who's weak, you could bury him in his own grave. Then another guy came up to him. I I mean, I, I hate to tell you this. Another guy came up to him and said, hey, you no longer need to wear a suit I go, he did not tell you that. He goes, yeah, the guy told me that. I go, what do you mean you can't wear a suit? The guy said to him, leaders wear suits and you're no longer a leader. You know, basically to this guy, you're a big loser. Listen, all I know is he's God's sheep, isn't he? He sinned greatly, but the sin was a year ago. And you got to sometimes pick up people and identify the guy's not still, he's not out of rank. Oh, he was for four months of his 30-year life. I get it, but he's not out of step. He's now so weak that somebody need to put their arm around and say, I love you, brother. So listen, I'm just telling you, these are people that we come into contact with and we, you, I, we have to be doctors of the soul and you have to pray to walk in the spirit. Lord, help me. Like even with that one woman, I just misdiagnosed her. I, I, it's like she needed this medication and I gave her the wrong one. And I just think of this guy, we've got to be careful. You can crush someone. So you admonish the unruly, you encourage the faint-hearted, you help the weak. And look, there's a summary statement there. You don't want to miss this. It might be the most convicting of all. Do you see it at the end of 14? You're to be patient with who? Everyone. Are you patient with people? And I'm preaching to myself. I'll tell you, I, I always remember John MacArthur, I always would tell us young pastors, Rick and I, that the greatest weakness in spiritual leadership of men in the ministry is a lack of patience with people. And I think he's right. Because usually when you're a young man and you're coming out of seminary, you, you kind of think you got it all down, you know? You're going to exhort. You, just, you only have one mode, and the mode is exhort, exhortation. And, you know, but he says, here, you got to be patient with everyone. And he's talking to me, and he's talking to you. And here, the Greek word, I like the word. It's macrothumia. It just literally means to have a long fuse. It's not micro. That's small. Macro is long. Thumia is the word for anger. In other words, you need to have a very long fuse with people here at Mission Road or in your own family or in your own roommates. Obviously, the opposite of somebody with a long fuse is somebody with a short, what, fuse. Man, that guy just goes off the handle. Man, that guy's just so angry. 
Man, that guy just went berserk at a meeting. Man, that guy just took, well, that's not patience with people. People are gonna wrong us in the body of Christ. And we have a responsibility to them to have a very patient spirit with them. So listen, anger, irritability, and an unforgiving spirit will create dissension in the body of Christ at Mission Road, and you need to be patient as I do. Remember, certainly you do, in Galatians 5, that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, and what? Patience, you've got to have a long fuse with people. You say, but Scott, they sinned. Okay, then go to them in gentleness, but they send again. Okay, go to them and forgive them 70 times seven, but you've got to make sure that this relationship with each other, and maybe there's somebody who's just bugging you. I don't know that. Nobody's ever told me that. You need to be patient with them. doesn't mean you avoid their sin. You admonish the unruly, but you've got to be real patient with them. First Corinthians 13, 4, the love chapter, you know that it begins that love is what? Patient. In other words, it has a long fuse. You're not irritable in your home. You don't blow up. You're patient with people in your home. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. So listen, what if, what if Mission Road got a hold of that? Can you imagine that? Listen, I was a young man. I'm probably 27 at this point, way back. And I've got another young pastor, and this guy needed to be, um, he needed to be removed from his position, being real honest with you here, at Grace Church. He had committed a pastor there, just an indiscretion with a woman. He uh, had not become a, a one-woman man. He had hugged a woman. It just, I say that because it wasn't some full-blown deal, and they actually had to kind of remove him. Okay, you, you get the picture, okay? It was a guy on our staff, and I'm a young man on our staff, and so John MacArthur came up, and we knew as, that he was gonna announce this, and I just watched him, and I thought he would do it at the beginning, and then he didn't do it at the beginning. And I thought, well, he's gonna do it when he gets up for the time and the word to announce this major decision. This guy was a wonderful, gifted leader, and he didn't announce it there, and then I thought he would put it in his message, and he didn't put it in his message. And I just remember sitting on the front row, and I'm thinking, hey, this thing needs to be taken care of, or I, I, is he going to punt on this? And, and so I'm waiting, and then he closes in prayer, and I'm like, no, he, he's not going to say it. Now, remember, I'm just a young guy, right? That's John MacArthur. So finally, before he, 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 he has somebody come up in prayer, he says, I just have a final announcement. And I just, I just remember he's so gracious. He just said, we just, so-and-so, this has happened, and we've had to take him off staff. Would you pray for him and his family? This is a, but really, just very little details you could just tell it broke his heart. And I just want you to know, I, I was kind of miffed. Because, you know, when you're a young man, you just like, so me and this other pastor, Monday, say, we better go talk to him about that. So there we go, me and this other guy. And we're marching down to his office, and he was in that day, and we, <laughs> we knock. He said, come on in. I think he said men. And so this other pastor, I feel like we're the two sons of thunder, okay? <laughs> now, I don't know if you, if, you, if you know who this other pastor is. His name is Rick Holland. <laughs> so we're in Dr. MacArthur's office basically saying, hey, what gives? I mean, he did what he was supposed to do, but I think we were really, because this, the leader that fell was a strong leader, and when strong leaders fall, you come down on them hard. It's just the nature of it. And I just remember, uh, we just said, well, I think we wanted to understand. And I just remember John being so gracious, so kind. And he said, man, I didn't want to ruin the rest of his life. I, I, I think he's useful for God's kingdom maybe at some time, at some place down the road. And I think he recognized that his words could have buried that guy forever. 
And, and so Rick and I just walked back like the two sons of thunder, and I said, we're, we're idiots. I mean, you know, and, and he's the sensei, and, and we're, just, we're just brash, young pastors. But Rick, I think you're worth. No, I, I, we, we just, and, and I look back on those days, and there he was as an example to me of being patient with everyone. He did what he needed to do. But he didn't want to ruin the guy for the rest of his life. He was patient with everyone. And it taught me by example that, listen, be careful to not have a quick fuse with people. Be careful to not misread someone. Be careful how you diagnose someone. Be careful about the command that you give to them. And praise the Lord that Jesus Christ is the best and perfect example. Amen. He always had the right word. To the woman caught in sin, he said, sin no more. But to others who needed to be picked up, he encouraged, right? For the weak, he just helped prop them up. He was patient with all people. And may the Lord give us here the heartbeat of the Lord Jesus Christ because he always did what was right. But listen, you have a responsibility and I do. Do you need to go to someone today? Do you need to pursue someone today? Do you need to make a phone call today? Do you need to write a letter today? Do you need to apologize to someone today? Who have you wronged, okay? Is there somebody you need to go to? My wife was on the phone with me the other day. I think this is okay, I tell you. She said, have you called your, have you encouraged your son today? I said, yeah, you know what? I called Johnny the other day, and we have seven kids, five girls and two boys. And uh, yeah, I called Kyle. She goes, no, I'm not talking about that son. I go, well, those are the only two sons I had. She said, no, I'm talking about your son in the faith on your staff. He's just a young guy. Makes a lot of mistakes as though I was perfect at 30, you know? And I just needed her to tell me that. In other words, if you encouraged your Timothy today, and I just thought, if I'm not careful, I can get edgy or prideful, whether it's with people. Listen, let's make sure we become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's make sure that Mission Road Bible Church stays on the course, but make no mistake about it. You have a great responsibility in that. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Would you bow your head with me? Maybe just as your head is bowed, does the Spirit of God bring anybody to your heart and mind? Maybe in this flock. Maybe it's not in this flock. But maybe it's somebody you need to go to. Maybe it's somebody you need to call. Maybe you think someone needs to be here and hear what I just preached and they weren't here. Will you go be the ambassador to them? Maybe there's someone who's just weak or there's someone who's just faint-hearted and they're just crying out. They may even be in the service here. Listen, when you get out of your car on the Lord's day, there's broken people all over. Sometimes there's unruly, undisciplined people as well who need to be admonished in gentleness. But listen, see to it that you repay no one evil for evil, but you rejoice always. You pray without ceasing. Maybe the Lord's bringing someone to your mind. Listen, I'll tell you this. You love people like this then Mission Road's going to penetrate this community with great boldness and fervency, both in the Lord's house and outside as you just love people.